nice little breeze sometimes, sunshine. And uh, unfortunately, it's not going to last. And uh, the Bible talks about the seasons, and to everything there is a time, there is a season. Hmm? So, I guess on the plus side, we can look forward to the beautiful leaves here. Oh, probably in about three weeks, four weeks. And uh, then we can look forward to raking them up off our yard. Amen. But that's a cycle of things. Well, it's good to be back. We had a great time while we were away. Didn't do a whole lot of anything. Uh, just kind of kicked back and, and uh, relaxed a bit. Spent last weekend with Arthur and his family. And we enjoyed that. But now we're back, and it's back in the groove, amen? Back to work, <clears throat> back to our responsibilities. And uh, ladies had a nice shower yesterday for Amy. Appreciate all the ladies that came and helped and were a part of it. And uh, appreciate a good testimony about we don't just say we care about you, we do care. Amen. Ephesians 5, what did Brother Joe teach on last week in Sunday school? Was anybody here? Okay. What kind of disciple are you? Amen. Well, that's, that's a good lesson. And we appreciate Brother Kaiser being able to be here. Keep him in your prayers. Uh, please pray for Brother Dennis Higgins, Pastor Dennis Higgins. Write that down. I want you to pray for him. They diagnosed him with cancer of the lung. Um, it's in one of his lungs, and they, they're trying to deal with it, but it just came kind of suddenly on him. And, and, uh, but we, we want you to pray for him. He Pastors Harbor Baptist Church down there in, I forget the name of the city, New Jersey, and uh, planted the church and pastors it, doing a great work for the Lord. He needs our prayers. We had Rev overnight again here in our parking lot, and uh, we try to help them out when they're going to be in the area. They plug in their electric for their their uh, travel home, and um, we just try to be a blessing in that way, and he was here just a little while ago, and we're thankful for their ministry. Come on in. Aiden, would you get this fellow a visitor's card? And can I get your name, please? Dave? Good to have you here this morning. I'm Pastor Gilmore, and welcome to our Sunday school class. This is the adult class. And uh, this morning, we're actually finishing up a series. Um, we're finishing up a series on <clears throat> fruit grows where the stream flows. And we're basically talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And... Um, we're going, to, we're going to talk about, we've talked about all the different segments, if you will, or, 
or parts of the fruit of the Spirit. But this morning, we're going to talk about this subject. It's time. Whoop, too fast on the trigger there. It is time. In Ephesians 5, I just want you to look at one verse, and it's a verse we're all familiar with. And uh, we know what it says. The sad thing is we, we don't practice what it says enough. In five, chapter, eight, uh, chapter 5, verse 18, Paul says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now go over to Galatians 5. Just a couple pages back. And verse 16. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not, shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Let's pray. Father, thank you once again for this opportunity we have to come together, to be in this place and to do what we're doing. Thank you for the freedoms that we have here in this great country. That we can do this without fear. And we thank you for the folks who have come to Sunday school. We thank you for the boys and girls and, and uh, men and women who rode the bus and those who have driven in. And, and we're thankful for every person who's present in Sunday school. We thank you for our workers, the teachers and the helpers. We praise you for their diligence and faithfulness to, to prepare, to have lessons for the uh, boys and girls and to be used of you. And Lord... We need your Holy Spirit filling today as we teach and, and share the truths of God's Word. And I pray that every teacher, including myself, would, be, would have that power of the Holy Spirit, leadership of the Holy Spirit in what we say and what we do. Now bless our time together. We thank you for the bus being able to go there. And thank you for those who work on the bus, go and labor, that others might come in here. Bless our, our efforts. Today we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, no more putting off the decision. The time has come. Time for what? Well, time for us to make a decision. Am I going to walk in the Spirit or am I not going to be a Spirit-filled Christian? If you choose to walk in the Spirit... There's going to be a time of rejoicing, refreshing, and revival. And so now as we close up this series, we want you to, to kind of focus for a little while on the blessings that come from a life that's yielded to the Holy Spirit of God. I want to tell you a little story to start. There was a fellow who bought a kind of a little quaint home it had a little backyard, and in that backyard was a small, yet very sturdy tree. When he bought the house, it was wintertime. 
he didn't know what kind of tree it was, and there was nothing that marked the kind of tree it was. He just knew it was a tree. When spring came, the tree began to come alive, and leaves grew, and it wasn't long till these very pretty little pink buds came. And as the man observed that, he thought, boy, that's wonderful. I have this very beautiful tree. I own a tree with exquisite pink flowers. And he thought, I'm going to enjoy this tree all summer long. Before he had time to really enjoy the tree, the wind started to blow. And soon all those beautiful pink petals that were on that tree were on the ground. The man looked and saw that. He thought, boy, what a mess that is. And he thought this in his heart. This tree isn't much use after all. The summer passed. And one day the man noticed the tree was now producing green fruit the size of large nuts. And so he went and observed, and then he, he plucked one of those little fruits, and he bit into it, and he said, yuck. What an awful taste. This tree's worthless. Its flowers are so delicate, the wind blows them away. And now it, it bears fruit, and the fruit is so bitter. And then he thought this, when winter comes, I'm definitely cutting this tree down. The tree took no notice of the man and continued to draw warmth from the sun and water from the ground. When late fall came, the tree began to produce crisp red apples. Now, get the idea of the story. You see, this tree didn't produce fruit in the beginning stages of its existence because this tree, first of all, had to go through a growth process. But when the time was right, the tree produced its fruit. You say, well, what's that got to do with anything? This. We as Christians are meant to produce fruit. I'm going to talk about that in the morning service. We as Christians are meant to produce fruit, spiritual fruit. And we can only produce the right kind of fruit if we grow through the Holy Spirit and decide to walk in Him. Once we've gleaned from the warmth of the, warmth of the Savior and the living water of the Holy Spirit, we too can then produce fruit. So... Now is the time. We've spent the last several weeks talking about the fruits of the Spirit. We know the only way to produce this type of fruit is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, we're to bear the fruit, but we can't do it on our own. We need His enablement. Now is the time to walk in the Spirit. Well, why now? Why do you say that? Because you've been through the growing process and are now ready for a time of rejoicing, refreshing, and revival. Well, let's talk about a time of rejoicing. Rejoicing. 
The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines rejoicing as an instance, occasion, or expression of joy. Rejoicing. An instance, occasion, or expression of joy. When we walk in the Spirit, we need to take time to express the joy of that decision. And the joy of, of walking in the Spirit can be expressed in a lot of different ways. First of all, we can rejoice in our salvation. Rejoice in our salvation. Think about this. Think about taking your last breath. You've now graduated. You've stepped through that doorway of death. And your soul and your spirit has been raptured onto heaven. Now you stand in heaven and you gaze over the crystal sea. And that sparkling water reflects throughout heaven's vastness. You happen to look down and what you see is pure gold. A reflection of the purest and most glorious shine. There's a light that's shining beautifully bright. You turn and start walking towards it. You know who is waiting for you, and each step you take towards him seems momentous. Then you come to that place when you're standing in awe of your Savior. You're standing with your eyes on him, the one who suffered terribly, giving you liberty to experience this magnificence of heaven. Your knees immediately fall to the ground. And your head bows instantaneously in the most reverence. You worship him, thanking him for the gift of your salvation. Oh my, do we ever think about that time? Do we ever really consider that time when we will see him face to face? If you're saved, it's going to happen. One, one millisecond after you close your eyes in death, you open your eyes and be face to face with him. Hmm. A time of rejoicing. We can rejoice in our salvation right now because one day we are going to experience the tangible gift of that salvation. Hey, a visitor. No, it's heaven. Nice to see you. Amen. One day, we're going to experience our salvation as we end up in heaven and spend all eternity in heaven. We have the opportunity to express our joy for God's invitation to live with him for eternity. And God wants us to desire heaven and he wants us to look forward to seeing him. Rejoice in the gift of heaven wrapped beautifully and sacrificially just for you. Psalm 13 and verse 5. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Can I ask this question? Do you ever just rejoice that you're saved? Do you ever contemplate the fact that you, you, you have been delivered from the threat of hell? that you've been guaranteed that you will spend all eternity with the Lord? 
That's something to rejoice over. Amen. And when all else seems to be closing in on us and difficulties and trials are present in our life, we have to remember this isn't the sum total of it all. We have much better waiting for us. And we need to rejoice. John 4, verse 14. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Rejoicing in our salvation. We know salvation is a gift. We didn't do anything to get our salvation. Hello? (laughs) Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of of renewing, hmm, by the washing, I'm, I'm blanking out here for a minute. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to the mercy has saved us by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Spirit. I got it. Amen. <laughs> Salvation. But that, that, that's verse 5, but verse 6 goes on and says, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Listen, we need to rejoice in our salvation because it's a gift to us. We don't, we don't do anything to deserve it or get it. All we do is receive it. And we ought to be rejoicing that God cared that much for us to make it possible for us to have salvation. Rejoice in our salvation. And then we should rejoice in our security. Here's another story for you, and I, I didn't realize this. When they built the Golden Gate Bridge out in San Francisco, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Golden Gate Bridge, San Francisco. When they built that, when they first started building it, they didn't have any safety devices being used. Now, remember, they weren't in the days of OSHA back then, Occupational Safety and Health Office. So people did a lot of things in unsafe ways. And when they started building this bridge, they had no safety devices. Because of that, 23 men fell to their death when they were building the Golden Gate Bridge. When they got to the final stages of the project, the light went on, I guess, and they decided to put a safety net under the construction of the bridge. They know of at least 10 men who fell into that safety net and were saved from death. As a result of that safety net, more work was accomplished. 25% more work got done because the men felt more secure to work and they were free to give themselves wholeheartedly to this project they're working on. Why? They had security. They didn't have to worry about falling. Listen, friend, we don't have to worry about ever losing our salvation. 
And it's not because of anything we do. We don't keep ourselves saved. He keeps us saved. I often like to go over to Isaiah chapter 40, where God says he will uphold us with his right hand. And I think about that picture of he's holding us with his right hand. You know, when I was down south, sometimes when I was visiting, you know, I'd ask somebody, uh, are you saved? And, and sometimes you'd get this response. Well, I'm a holding on. Holding on to what? And I'd have to respond to people. You don't hold on to God. God holds on to you. There's a big difference. And I use the illustration of a parent and a child. When we get around uh, uh, danger and we have our children, what do we do? We snatch our, their, their hand in our hand and we hang on to them, don't we? And even though the child wants to get away, can't get away. The child isn't holding us, we're holding him. And that's the way it is with us and God. I, I, I cannot understand people who think that somehow they can lose the gift that God's given to them. And that somehow they can break free of God's hand. John chapter 10, Jesus says that, that no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So we need to rejoice because we're saved, and then we need to rejoice because nothing can ever change that. How many of you have ever failed the Lord? All of us. Aren't you glad that when you failed him, he didn't take it away from you? Now, he might have gave you a spiritual spanking. You say, what's that? Well, that's the chastening that we read about over in Hebrews chapter 12. That's some trials and troubles and tribulation that he allows to come into your life to get you back where you need to be. But the Bible also says God only chastens his own. The chastening is unpleasant, but thank the Lord for it because it displays his love. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Hmm. You know, we're in a day and age that parents don't want, to, don't want to discipline their children anymore. A lot of parents have bought into the psychobabble of the, of the day where they say spanking is inappropriate and wrong and disciplining is wrong, that you're warping your children. How many of you were disciplined when you were young? How many of you were thankful you were disciplined when you were young? Yeah. Children need discipline. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod will drive it far from him. And parents are abdicating their, their position as the authorities in their children's life when they refuse to discipline. And really, they're showing a lack of love for their children. And so the Bible teaches us that God loves us, and, and he's holding on to us, and he's keeping us saved, not ourselves. But he will chasten us when we walk in a disorderly way. A time of of rejoicing. 
you and I can give our lives wholeheartedly to the cause of Christ without fear of loss or destruction. We have that rejoicing and that security that comes from the Spirit of God. In Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, go over there. Ephesians 1. Verses 13 and 14. Paul writes there, Whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye received, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. I want you to understand something. When you got saved, God marked you as his. How did he do that? By the presence of the Holy Spirit. That is the mark of God in you. When Ephesians talks about being sealed there, I checked on that word. Here's what that word seal means as it's used there. To stamp with a signet, or a private mark. Now, Paul used that word sealed because it was very applicable in the day that Paul's writing. People would go to the market, and they didn't have all the technology we have today. So suppose somebody went to the market, and uh, and they bought a, 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 a hundred bushels of wheat. Well, they didn't have a big old semi to haul all that home. So what would they do? They would give a down payment, and they would, they would make a deal with the merchant to mark that 100 bushels of wheat as sold. And now nobody else can have it. It belongs to someone. And that verse goes on to say, he is the earnest of our salvation. Well, what does that mean? a down payment has been made promising that the deal is going to be completed. I remember buying our house. Well, we bought a couple of houses along the way. But when we, when we put a bid in on a house and it was, it was accepted, the realtor would come and Shay knows, and you say, you need to put up earnest money. Well, what is that? That's money that you put down on the, on the purchase to make the promise and to secure the fact that you are going to finish the deal. Listen, the Holy Spirit is God's earnest to us that he's going to finish the deal. Mm -hmm. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit, and we ought to rejoice in that. We're marked for God. God marked you as belonging to him. You say, where's that mark? Again, in the place of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Well, a time of rejoicing. And then notice this, a time for refreshing. Hmm. Over in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, Luke writes this, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. 
if you look up that word refreshing in a concordance, it's going to tell you that it means a recovery of breath. Have you ever been out of breath? And you sit down and you say, I just want to catch my breath. That's, that's the meaning of this, this word, that kind of thing. Uh, think back to the time when your life was demanding and chaotic and hectic and, and busy. And you were without him. Those times when you feel like you can't do everything you need to do. Not even catch your breath. When life's demands cease for a moment, a time of refreshing comes, giving you the chance to take a breath. Acts 3 verse 19 says that our refreshing will come from the Lord. We cannot be revitalized by the myths and methods of this world, but we can be rejuvenated by the Lord and his spirit. Mm-mm-mm. We get refreshed by the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Listen, when you're walking in the Spirit, it doesn't mean that all your trials and troubles are gone. The fact is this, the more you try to walk in the Spirit, the more trials and troubles and tribulations you're going to have. See, because basically what you're doing is swimming upstream. What do you mean? You're going against the tide. What do you mean? You're going in an opposite direction of the world around you. And so opposition is going to be yours. Just mark it down and accept it. We face that opposition. When you're faithfully walking in the Spirit, troubles and tensions are sure to abound. The devil will fight your faithfulness and test your loyalty. Boy, isn't that true? He will come. Remember Job? The testing he had to go through. Listen, and we go through testings as well. The devil likes to test us to see if we're really serious about living for the Lord. When we're in those times of testing, we need to remember we're not alone. We need to remember he is with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. He's living here. (coughs) And though all of the rest of the world may forsake us, he never will. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. In John 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Hmm. Listen, as believers, we don't need to turn to the areas of comfort the world offers. We need to turn to the comfort that we receive from the Holy Spirit. And he can give us that comfort. The world's looking for comfort in in sex and and alcohol and drugs and, and all manner of things. Listen, we can have we can have peace and comfort from the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Isaiah 61.1. Jesus used most of this verse one time in the temple as he stood up to read. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. 
He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. God's Spirit has the power to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim liberty. Nothing can compare to the comfort the Holy Spirit gives during times of testing. How many of you know the name Horatio Spafford? Well, when I tell his story, you'll remember him. He, He and his family were scheduled to go to Europe. And at the last minute, some business came up that he couldn't go. So he sent his wife and and daughters on ahead, and he would catch the next ship coming across. This, of course, predates airplanes and that mode of travel. So he sent his wife, Anna, and his four daughters, Tanetta, Maggie, Annie, and Bessie. And they got on board a ship, SS Ville du Havre, and they set sail for Europe. He was to follow shortly. As that ship was sailing, it was struck by another vessel. That ship sank in the ocean, and 226 people perished. After that very tragic incident, Spafford received a telegram from his wife. It had two words, saved, alone. He understood what that meant. His wife had survived, but his daughters hadn't. It wasn't much later that he got on board ship to sail to England, and he asked the captain when we approached that place where my daughters went down with that ship, make sure I'm, I'm aware. And as they passed over that spot, the captain came and got him, And he stood on the deck of a vessel carrying him to rejoin his grieving wife in Wales. And when it passed the place where his precious daughters had drowned, Spafford received sustaining comfort from God that enabled him later to write a very famous hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. How could a man write that in such a tragic time? The comfort of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you may well face very difficult times in your life. You can have the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The comfort of the Holy Spirit reaches to the depths of the sorrowful and grieving souls. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says this, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We have someone praying for us, the Holy Spirit. We're refreshed by the comfort of the Spirit 
and we're refreshed by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, Jesus said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever have I said unto you. Hmm. When you allow the Holy Spirit to be your guide, your journey in life is going to be surrounded with what's true and what's right. Surrounded with what's true and what's right. Hmm. Let's say it a different way. The Holy Spirit will never lead you astray. Hmm? How many of you know what lies ahead for tomorrow? How about what lies ahead for next week or next month? How about 15 minutes? We have no idea, but God does. And God gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us. You know what the problem is? The problem is a lot of Christians aren't, aren't following that guidance. Hmm? That's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. He is sent to guide us. And it's a wonderful thing to tap into the wisdom of God through the person of the Holy Spirit. Have you figured out yet that God knows a lot more than you know? Hmm? And here we are. We have the opportunity to tap into that source of knowledge, and we don't use it. What do you mean we don't use it? We don't follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He leads one way, and we decide to go another. He says we should do one thing, and we think we should do another. We're doing what, what we often refer to as shooting ourselves in the foot. As believers, when we refuse to yield to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, in John 17, 17, says that the word of truth, or the word of God is truth, and God wants to lead us in that pathway of truth. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Okay, how can I, how can I have the leadership of the Lord? Get your nose in the book. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. You know, today in our world, it's often hard to discern what's true and what's not. Let me remind you, you can't read, you can't believe anything you read. We have the, the fake news today. You can't, you can't believe, uh, somebody said you can't believe anything you read and only half of what you hear or what you see. So how do we know what's really true and right? He speaks to us through his word, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's time. It's a time for refreshing. It's a time, thirdly, for reviving. Listen, we need revival. Well, I think three of us agree. We need a Holy Ghost revival. Our church needs it. We as individuals need it. And, and America needs it. 
We look at what's going on in our country and we're grieved, aren't we? But why is it happening? Because the salt has lost its savor. What do you mean? The church has lost her power. What do you mean by that? Christians are not influencing the, the world like we're supposed to. The church in America no longer has the sway it once had among God's people. I told you this story before, but I'm, I'm going to tell it to you again. About way back, I think it was 1956 or 57, when Elvis Presley hit, hit, the, uh, hit the world. Any of you remember that? Back in the 50s? All of a sudden, here comes this, this guy from, from the hills of Tennessee, and, and uh, he's got a whole different way of presenting music, and, and uh, he does gyrations and things that, that really are shocking during that time. Now, today, people think nothing of it. I mean, it would be tame. But back then, it was scandalous. And so he was scheduled to come, Elvis Presley, to Jacksonville, Florida, and to put on a concert there. And it would involve all these gyrations and things. And Dr. Gray told the story how they got a lot of the churches of Jacksonville together, and they went down to the city council, and they told them, Elvis Presley, don't come here. And you know, the city council backed them and told Elvis he couldn't come. Hmm. But what, what, what churches have that kind of power in our country today? See, people, people today would laugh at the church. They say, what do you mean? You're old-fashioned. You're, you're, you're living in another age. This is just the, the things that, that are good for our society and that kind of thing. Our public schools, they threw the Bible out, they threw God out. Where were the Christians? Where were the Christians to go to the school board? And where are they today? When a child comes home with, with assignment to read things that that child shouldn't be reading, where are, the, where are the Christians who go to the school board and say, my kid's not going to read that? Hmm? I remember one day I was in the giant store, and I had whatever I was buying, and I was standing in the line. And I have to, happened to look down and there was a magazine down there for sale, and it was the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. How many of you know what that is? Yeah, very inappropriate for any eyes, let alone children. Well, I asked to see a manager. And the manager came over, and I took him over there, and I pointed to it, and I said, number one, you shouldn't even be selling that, and number two, it certainly shouldn't be on display where children can look at it. And he said, yeah, you're right there. We'll move it. But they weren't going to quit selling it, but they would move it. But listen, how many Christians would take time 
or even, even approach somebody about things like that. Have you ever asked a restaurant to turn the music off? I have. I've asked them to turn it down. I've asked them to turn it off. You ever do anything like that? Have you ever, have you ever confronted somebody about a foul mouth? I have. Well, I remember I used to go to McDonald's every morning when I lived over in the farmhouse over here. And I would have a cup of coffee and a bagel. And I would look at my paper while I was at McDonald's. Well, at that time, a lot of the older folks would come in there and have a cup of coffee and sit and talk forever. Free refills, you know. But there was one fellow in particular who had a very foul mouth. And I tried to stay away from him. But one morning, somehow, he ended up in the table next to me. He started shooting off his foul mouth, using the Lord's name in vain, asking God to damn a lot of things. And I got up and I just leaned over in his ear. And I said, you're using the name of my Savior and my God in a vain way. You need to knock it off. Went and sat down. Now, I didn't hear him say another word the whole time I was there. And to be honest with you, I don't, I don't think I ever heard him say another cuss word. Now, he probably was still using them, but he wasn't doing it around me. See, we're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be light. Revival. America needs revival, but it's not going to come until God's people humble themselves and pray and seek his face. In other words, our churches need to get right with God and get back in touch and tune with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. We've got too many preachers tickling ears today. They don't want to upset anybody. They might lose some of their people, might lose the crowd. Well, God never called us to build a crowd. He said, build a church. Yes. Yeah. That's the way it should be. We should flavor what goes on around us. I remember family gatherings where we were invited and we would go and uh, the liquor wouldn't flow till we left. Hmm? Listen, we're supposed to influence the world. We're supposed to be salt and light. And we don't have revival in America because the church, people in the church don't want to be salt and light. They'd rather be like the world than against the world. Hello. They don't want to be branded as fanatics. They don't want to be branded as crazy or wild or, or religious, you know, Holy Joe and those kind of things. And so they take no stand. 
Plus, they're enjoying living their life of sin. I'll say that again. They're enjoying living their life of sin. You see, sin is pleasurable for a season. And too many Christians are enjoying the pleasures of sin, but they need to realize one day payday comes. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. A lot of Christians have a theology, or we might say a belief, about God. But oftentimes they're not experiencing God in a personal way. It's time to be revived in Him through the working of the Holy Spirit. Somebody said, revival is an awakening to God. We need personal revival. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Listen, personal revival comes when we are completely dedicated to sowing seeds of righteousness. That's when we leave no time for the flesh. And the wholeheartedly sow, we wholeheartedly sow seeds of truth and righteousness. We may have the head knowledge of the Holy Spirit, but if we're not experiencing his fruit on our lives, we have failed to grasp the reviving work of God's Spirit. Somebody said, the beginning of revival is when people of God begin living in the power of an ungrieved, unquenched Holy Spirit. Boy, is that a statement. Let me say it again. Revival is when the people of God begin living in the power of an ungrieved, unquenched Holy Spirit. When we as God's children live in the sole power of the Holy Spirit, our flesh will fade away, our spirit will be revived. How many of you like corn? Mm, I love it when corn of the cob season comes. Mm, mm, mm. But did you ever stop to think about corn and the fact that one little grain of corn, one kernel, can be planted and grow a whole stalk of corn. And from that one kernel of corn, that stalk will bear seven ears. So you planted one little kernel, now you have seven ears of corn. And on each one of those ears, there's about 1,000 kernels of corn. So you planted one kernel of corn, and the result is... 7,000 more kernels of corn. Hmm. Now, that's what the Bible's talking about. When you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to begin to sow the seeds of righteousness, and those seeds are going to reap the fruits of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and others. What you sow in the Spirit faithfully, you will reap from the Lord bountifully. A personal revival begins when you choose to sow to the Spirit. And once you allow that process to begin in your life, you're going to experience God's personal working in your heart. So we need personal revival. We need family revival. Once you begin a personal revival in your own soul, share it with your family. 
Show them that the Spirit of God, what the Spirit of God can do to one willing Christian. And then thirdly, we need church revival. Hmm. You know, there's, there's a lot of people, a lot of Christians in America who believe America is past the ability to have revival. I've heard some of these men, and I'm not faulting them. They just see things from a different perspective, and, and they think America's too far along to have a Holy Ghost revival. I don't believe that. And the fact is this. Every once in a while, we'll see a spark of revival. A couple of years ago in Burlington, North Carolina, a revival broke out. And I forget how many weeks. I think it was like 18 weeks. They had, they had a tent meeting like we do. It was supposed to be a week long. And things started happening, and they went to two weeks, and then three weeks, and four weeks, and five weeks, and people started coming from all over America to come to this, this revival because revival was happening. And they went for like 18 weeks every day. And God was doing great things. So we see sparks of revival here and there. But what we need is, is that Holy Ghost revival that will spread across our land like fire. And it, listen, it has to begin in our churches. Judgment must begin at the house of God. We're living in a day of, of I, be, I believe, Laodicean-type Christianity. Well, what, what do you mean by that? Well, over in Revelation chapter uh, 2 and 3, we read about the seven churches, and, and not only do they, does that represent seven literal churches that were in existence when John was writing, but we believe it's indicative of the church, church ages, the ages the church would go through. And we look, we look through history and we see the different ages, and we believe we've come to that place where we're in the last age of the church, Laodicean age. And that's the age where Christians aren't warm and aren't cold, or aren't hot and aren't cold, just kind of warm, complacent. Hmm? And that's where we've come to today in our churches. You know, we're an exception, and people kind of laugh and mock at our kind of church because we still believe the Bible. We still believe in holy living. We still believe in separation from the world. We, we still believe that there's a lot of churches who have abandoned those things. Mm-mm-mm. Church revival. You know, a lady came to Billy Sunday one day. You know, Billy Sunday traveled all over having revivals. And she asked him, she said, why do you keep having revivals? They just don't seem to last. And Billy Sunday looked at her and he said, why do you keep taking baths? Hmm? Pastor Fredena shared how when he got called to preach, his pastor uh, counseled him and said, you need to preach on revival about once every three or four weeks because that's how often people need it. Hey, do you need revival? Do you ever pray for revival? 
I think a lot of Christians are afraid to pray for revival. They're afraid they'll get it. Hmm. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I'm going to challenge you. How many of you would say, Preacher, I'm going to start praying for personal revival. I'm going to start praying that God will give me revival in my heart and my Christian life. Here's my hand. Would you hold it up high? I am seriously going to pray for revival. I need revival. God bless you. Father, thank you that we can have the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you that we can display it, but only as we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that we can have revival. And I pray that you would help us as we pray for revival, we would see it happen in our lives, in our church, and in our country. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you. You're dismissed. Service will start in just a few minutes.